This is Issues, the podcast, a project of ISH. Each episode will welcome artists, community members, thought leaders, and creative minds to reflect, share, and celebrate Jewish and Jewish identity. We all need something to look forward to, some grounding as we struggle to figure out what the new normal is going to look like. Ish is bringing you new voices, new artists, and new ideas to help you find that grounding. Whether Jewish, Jewish, or just here for the chutzpah, we're so glad you've decided to join us. In this episode of Issues, Jasmine Wolk interviews Jared Jackson. I'm Jazz Wolk, and I'm a member of the Ish Board. Hi, I'm Jared Jackson. I'm the founder and executive director of Jews in All Hues. Jazz and Jared talk about racial representation, the unnecessary violence used against the Black Lives Matter movement, being a Jew of color, and so much more. Let's jump in. Extra, extra, read all about it. There's a celebration coming and there's no need to doubt it. Got some Jewish artists showing you what they got. They'll give you the talk of the town and what hits the spot. Cincinnati is where it's at. We'll print the issues. And we got the facts. Welcome back. Put on the track because we go in a chat. Well, hello, Jared Jackson. Thank you so much for joining us today. We know you're the founder and executive director of Jews in All Hues. What inspired you to form this organization? Well, it goes back to 2008. I tell people jokingly that I had a choice either to start an organization or start a new religion because I was literally sitting on a rock in the Negev in Israel, thinking about my life, thinking about my leadership and thinking about those around me. I was actually on a leadership trip from the Schusterman Family Foundation called the Charlie Awards. Being a leader in your community, being an internationally recognized leader at that, and still not being accepted by the same community. Did you ever feel perhaps walking into a room or being kind of introduced to that new crowd who's read about you on paper, but to see you in person, have you ever felt like that perception change once they could physically see you and they see that you might bear a different look than what they might have in mind when they think of a Jewish man? People have various reactions to my physical presence. Just being a Black man, there's the treasure trove of reactions to just me being in the room. But I will say that in recent years, I've had some interesting interactions. I, I remember going to a synagogue in L.A. for the first time, for the first Shabbat that I was there. Somebody came over to me and said, Mr. Jackson, we are honored that you're here. We would like to give you an aliyah. On that same day, I went to a theater performance of True Colors, the theater project from formerly Jewish Women's Theater. I think they have a different name now. But the executive director of Jewish Women's Theater came over to me and I was like in the corner. I'm like, they're probably going to mistake me as somebody's like cousin or spouse or something like that. And then she was like, Mr. Jackson, we are so honored by your presence. I was like, okay, great. I'm honored that you're putting on this show. Well, that's amazing. Again, maybe it's not necessarily the image or someone mistaking you perhaps for being an usher to help them find their seats. It's nice that they're recognizing you and your identity. Well, that also still happens. How important is the presence and representation that your organization provides 
in these challenging times that we face of rising racial injustice and anti-Semitism. I want to be clear on this. Jews in All Hues and other orgs that have popped up recently that are similar to Jews in All Hues are essential to the future and the survival of the Jewish people in the United States and elsewhere. Would you care to elaborate on that? Essential to the survival of all Jews, right? Of all Jews, yes. Okay. Do you feel like there's a strength with building that diverse presence, a larger tribe? How do you feel in saying that with such conviction? I wouldn't necessarily say larger tribe. I would say we need to recognize a tribe that already exists. People often use the the language of the new face of Judaism, but like, Honestly, with my skin tone, I look closer to the original skin tone of Judaism or skin tones that comprise the first groups of Jews than my own ancestors who come from like the Bell's shtetl. So it's not necessarily the new face of Jews, but it's just the new acceptance that is starting to be more spoken or embraced. Spoken more than embraced, but yes. I'll also say that acceptance and acknowledgement is not enough. I could say some words. I could say that I accept something, but it's not an action. No, it doesn't change the, the trajectory of a relationship or a community, which is built off of many intersecting relationships. Do you think that there'll ever become a time where the term Jew of color won't be used and we'll all just be Jews? I sure hope so. And that's just me. Other people have told me that they want this label, this term to stay forever. I wrestle with it also because of the people of color language and how you saw that in like slave manifests for Quakers and some Jews at the same time, reappropriating that or taking it back, whatever the phrase may be or the saying, I feel like right now it's healthy to make that distinction because we are fighting white supremacy within Judaism, within Jewish institutional life. I know you said you'd hope that there would be a time that we won't, you know, necessarily have to be acknowledged in a separate box, if you will, (laughs) as Jews of color. But yeah, we will be Jews. How do we get there? We have to acknowledge our biases, but we also have to do something about them. We have to work every day to make sure that our thought processes aren't separating ourselves or, or lessening the possibility that we will connect with another human being just because we may think that for a split second that they are other. Even though people have their differences and we are within one religious group, we are a beautiful rainbow of humanity. And even if that term goes away, even if that label goes away, Jews of color, there will still be people of color. There will still be those intersections of identity and life having this be a catch-all for anybody who is even remotely melanated or not, or has a connection to parents, grandparents, who would be considered people of color. Even if the term goes away, those loving connections won't go away. Those intersections of identity won't go away. And that's what I hope. I hope to get to the point where we can be an intersectional community of Jews, not just say they're Jews and then they're Jews of color. This is the same language that I wrestle with as far as inclusion. People call me a DEI consultant. Maybe diversity and equity would be sufficient. Inclusion, even if you look at it in the dictionary today, it's closer to integration than inclusion. But what the practical, what the everyday definition of that 
has turned into is there's a central group and we are adding things and people and identities onto that. But that also makes all of those things that we're adding on disposable. And I think kind of in the wake of, I'll call it the uh, the summer of awakening, but there was so much that transpired and we were all home to receive it. It was something that we all had to face. And that was looking at how differently you can be treated in a given situation in this country that we're supposed to be equal under the law, but how differently situations can be treated for different individuals and experienced by different individuals just based off of how they look. This is the world that we're all part of. We have to be blind to not accept that it happens within our own Jewish community. What are we going to do beyond our words to join and unify? And also the voice that we're supposed to speak up in these instances. So what type of responsibility do you think that, you know, Jewish people as a community have in these moments, these moments of a clear shared legacy? So how did you view the preparation and excessive force used for Black Lives Matter, peaceful protesters, and the summer of awakening, as I like to call it, this past summer versus the lack thereof or even enabling of the pro-Trump rioters that stormed the U.S. Capitol? It was it was whiteness on display. It was beyond display, right? Because people died in all those instances. There were white Jews who even died in those in in those instances at the hands of police and other white supremacists. You know, the the response to saying that your life matters being justification for your death is not something a ton of white people see on a day-to-day basis. Showing up in force with IEDs, with guns, with bats, hanging a noose for somebody you disagree with. These are things that I've seen almost every week for the past 12 12 years. This is America. This is the America that I've seen ever since I was five and locked in a jail cell as a show of, like, this is what prisoners look like in preschool as a trip to the police station for everyone while the white kids were in the hallway looking at us. We're in a diverse community as Jewish people, and we've been, you know, on the odds of what people want to accept and love and understand for years. But there's still that reflection that needs to go on and say, but what are we doing? Because are we being silent in these moments? Are we stepping up? Just the term anti-racist is a call to action. It means that you have to work at it. Whereas the word ally, there are too many laurels to sit on that showed up out of nowhere. Working at being an anti-racist is the same thing as, or has a similar thing to being a classical pianist. There's a pursuit. There's humility in that because you're not going to be perfect every day. You're not going to be perfect any day. Let's just be that clear. And you need to keep working on it. You need to keep checking in. You need to keep processing at the same time that you're doing stuff. You need to be aware. Uh, Musicians that that play with other musicians who are not aware are usually the musicians who don't get gigs. And part of being a good musician is having a good ear, right? Because if somebody hits the wrong chord, you got to be able to pick it up. It's the same thing in society, and I think that's that's a very interesting way to look at it, because it's true. I have to, you know, just give a lot of credit to the local Jewish community I'm a part of. I have to say, 
there have been a lot of foot to the pavement actions. There's plenty of ways to step up and get involved. And it's not just to sit and be sad on the sidelines. It's like, what are we going to do to show that unity, that acceptance? That's, that's a real acceptance that's felt versus almost to me the, you know, let's dance around it. Let's kind of seem supportive. Oh, I know a black congregant. They're cool. But really kind of showing up with that representation of action. Right, right. And I think there's there's a big difference now about how people are showing up, what they're coming with, how prepared they're being when they show up, as, as opposed to just doing the occasional vigil. You don't have to say anything. You don't even need to be near anyone because you're holding fire in your hand. Also, when you step away, when you step away from an action, it's usually not because the work is done. It's because needs have arisen, basic needs have arisen, and people need to go meet those needs as well. Anti-racism is a need. There's an urgency about this. There, there are competing urgencies, but not necessarily competing urgencies for the, the oppressed. When you're becoming an ally or you're trying to actively be an anti-racist, there's an urgency to see a quick end to whatever you're facing, right? So seeing a quick end to racism. And that's usually on the side of the people who just woke up this summer or yesterday or sometime in the past 20 years. I was born into this oppression. I, I know that it's urgent. I know that it needs to change. I don't need you screaming at me that you're changing it. Somebody that I know, who's the executive director of a Jewish social justice organization, basically yelled at me over the summer about defunding the police because I was talking about something else. Like they were like, hey, man, that's not important. We're trying to defund the police over here. And I'm like, well, OK, you're yelling at me, a person who has been harassed, been profiled. I've had rifles held to my head in the airport. I've been accused of being a domestic terrorist for wearing a kippah. So many things have happened to me going way back in my life regarding police. And yet this person felt it was okay to scream at me over a different issue because they felt this urgency to defund the police. That is toxic allyship. And it's a lot of it. I feel like it's, it's our society. We live in an on-demand society. It's that same culture that is creating that. We got to do it right now. It's got to be done right now. And this is how it's going to be done. And we just have the solution. That'll fix it. It's bigger. It's a bigger problem. Right, right. It's bigger. This is a multi-generational problem. This is uh, the foundation of our country. This is also the foundation of a lot of our Jewish institutions. Yeah, because it's founded, you know, in a place that is inherently racist. It's even hard, I think, for some people to say those words because you cling so hard to a constitution that you don't stop to realize prior to watching Hamilton, a few other people woke up. There are so many pieces at play. And you can't just say this is the only initiative as if that's the fix-all. It's not. 
you know, I didn't like the idea of like, you know, some, I did have a few people call me like, how are you? I hope I never said anything. That's just generally people, they don't know what to do. So they're like, I was at least encouraged. Like, I'm glad you reached out. I think you could start with that book. Like they'll share me with what they're reading. I'm like, that sounds great. It's a great place to start. And if you ever want to hear some personal experiences throughout my life that I don't let define me, but they happened, I'd be happy to share them with you. And maybe you'll have a different perspective after reading this book. People have to find their own way to connect to what's going on. But, but that there's so much fragility in that response a- instead of centering on the one person like, I just want to check in with you. I'm here to listen. I'm not here to judge you. I also forget sometimes to say these things. I, I don't speak from a point of like, I've fixed everything and I'm, I'm perfect and all that. No, I, I mess up constantly. And perfection is, is part of oppression, saying that people need to be perfect in order to move the needle, in order to get things done, in order to be in community with somebody, that's just not humane. Being okay with making mistakes is one of the biggest things that people can do for themselves and others, for for humanity. Learn how to own your mistakes. As I was gathering a little bit more background as to who you are, what you represent, what you've done, I did come across an interesting piece about you that said you were named one of the Jews that will change the world by periodical Ma'ariv. It's a loaded question, but how do you plan to change the world? Well, I don't plan to change the world alone. Nobody can change the world alone. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Whether you're a fundraiser, whether you are a friend raiser. I love that. Yes. Friend raiser. Yes. Nothing gets done without relationships. Nothing gets done without building trust. Nothing gets done without openly admitting that you're human. And we need a different model of leadership where that's possible. It can't be something that seems pure on the surface. That title, even though I still use it in my bio, that too is a call to action. It calls me to deepen relationships that I have and seek more relationships. And I'll tell you something deeply personal about myself that hardly anyone actually believes nowadays, but I am an introvert. I'll say that I haven't nurtured it for a while, but it's still core to who I am. Getting into Jewish communal work, you have to be extroverted to some degree because you're, you're interacting with people. Most of my drive is about connection. Right? When we're talking about racism, we are talking about a system that disconnects us from ourselves. If we're talking about whole communities, we're talking about the fracturing of communities and thinking that one piece is the whole. We have systems at play that that separate us based on our particular identities and thinking that liberation can only come for one type of identity at a time. No, liberation can come for all at the same time. Like when we're talking about racial justice in Jewish communal spaces, how are we talking about it and why are we talking about it that particular way? I'll tell you, from from my perspective, I see a lot of institutions and a lot of at least loud voices saying the reason why they want to get involved with racial justice 
outside the community, hardly ever inside the community, FYI, but they want to get involved outside the community is because I can't remember the priest's name, but he was in Germany and he said, first they came for blank, then they came for this, then they came for, they came for the Jews, and they came for blah, 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 right? It's kind of like that line of thinking. For me, that mindset is more self-preservation than justice-centered. We should be pursuing justice to see justice done. We shouldn't be pursuing justice because we think we're next. And we shouldn't be pursuing justice because we think we're next and we think that our community is one way or one race or one anything, right? We, we are multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-gendered, multi-sexual multi community, and there are tons more intersections that I am not even naming. We should be doing that for people who have intersections of identity and face oppression that we aren't even thinking of. This is the time to really move forward. This is the time to not only do the work outside, but do the work inside. Because if we're not doing the work internally, the work we do outside of the Jewish community suffers greatly because we are sending our people out in a way that will cause harm. On Saturday, we will commemorate Juneteenth, when Union troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, declaring the abolition of slavery two years after the Emancipation Proclamation and two months after the end of the Civil War. However, Black Americans continued to face racial discrimination, inequality, terror, and violence. Over this past 18 months, we have witnessed the killings of unarmed Black Americans by police, including George Floyd, Rashard Brooks, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, and countless others. These murders are horrific reminders that racial injustice, systemic racism, and police brutality continue to thrive in America. Juneteenth serves as a celebration of the Black freedom gained following slavery, but the fight for Black liberation continues. Toward that end, Juneteenth is a celebration of Black American life and resilience and honors the contributions of Black Americans to this country. Juneteenth reminds us that real change, though often frustrating and painful, is possible. As executive director of ISH, I am very aware of the painful history of race, both within the United States and within Judaism. This Juneteenth, we are rededicating ourselves to addressing structural racism and racial disparities and invite you to join us. We are grateful to Jared and Jazz for the conversation. Check out the show notes for their bios. Also, Hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and come back for the next episode as we continue to bring you new artists, community members, thought leaders, and creative minds to reflect, share, and celebrate a little chutzpah. Thanks to our technical producer and consultant, Joey Taylor of Bespoken Live. Our theme music was written and performed by Ben Pagliaro. I'm Marie Krulowicz-Brown, and this is Issues. Issues.